Please grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we'll be. After being away from 1 Corinthians for a couple of Sundays, we are back. And I imagine you'll need a little bit of a recap to help you remember what's going on. <laughs> uh, very natural. So we'll get into that after uh, I read a couple verses and then open with a prayer. 1 Corinthians 4, and I think I'll read verses 6 and 7 again that Mike read for us earlier. 1 Corinthians 4, and starting with verse 6. It says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Father, we thank You again for this day. We thank You for Your particular provision and protection over our lives. You are the one who sustains us. You're the one who holds all things together by the Word of Your power, and we thank You that You are who You are and that You loved us first. You came and You lived the life we couldn't live, and You died the death we should have died. And you rose again that we might be made right with you by faith. Thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the statement, it is finished. Thank you for the love that we have to share by the Holy Spirit. And thank you for the text that you've placed in front of us today in this important book, this letter to the Corinthians. Lord, we ask that you would give us a, a great study and cause us to be moved closer to Christ because of our time spent in Your Word. And though I am a sinner, both by nature and by choice, Lord, I ask that I would not get in the way, but that Your Word would be clear to Your people this morning, and that You would give us a, an enriched experience as we look into the words of life. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the last time we were in this book, we were looking at verses 1 through 5 of 1 Corinthians 4. This is the section wherein Paul said, it is a very small thing that I am judged by you, speaking to the Corinthians. It appears as though there were some, not all, but some in Corinth who thought they could view Paul's ministry from a position of judgment, that they could view the ministry of Apollos from a position of judgment, and perhaps others looking at what they have done and critiquing them. Instead of receiving the ministry as a gift from God, instead of understanding the service among them as a wonderful thing that God had given them, they were condescending toward those ministries, critiquing the little details of things and Paul writes to them saying, it's a small thing that you do this. He says, I don't even examine myself. And he encourages them, this is in verse 5, he encourages them to not pass judgment now, but to wait until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will disclose the motives of each man's heart. 
That was Paul's message to them at the start of this chapter. The Corinthians viewed the gifts of God as something that was owed to them. Instead of appreciating the gifts, instead of viewing the gifts as being a humbling thing for them, something that would point them to the cross and point them to the cross-centered life, Instead, they viewed the gifts as what was due to them. In fact, it wasn't even good enough for that as they sat back and critiqued it. We just went through Christmas, and perhaps you gave a gift this year that you put a lot of thought into. Perhaps you gave someone a gift, and you thought about it, and you were excited for that person to open it on Christmas morning. What if that person would have opened the gift and looked at it and said, okay, I wish it was a different color. Um, It's not the brand I would have preferred. Uh, Really, that's it? (laughs) Ouch. Oh, (laughs) right? Um, A gift is given with expectation, expectation of appreciation and expectation of joy. And the Corinthians were receiving these gifts from God and were critiquing. They weren't appreciating. They were thankless. They were ungrateful. And now in this section of the letter, Paul is going to address those issues. And he is going to call them to a posture of humility, to view the gifts as truly something to cherish, to view the gifts of the apostles and the Word of God as something that should humble us and point us to the cross and enrich our lives in God. And that's what he's doing starting in verse 6. And I should say from the get-go too, particularly verses 6 and 7, if you're not using the same translation I'm using, there will be several differences. These are hard verses in the Greek to translate, and they're hard to interpret also. I don't exactly uh, want to do these verses today, but here I am, and uh, hopefully what comes out is, is honoring to God and helpful to you. But let's look at verse 6 again. Paul writes, these things brethren. Again, and it's important to notice when he calls them brethren, there's so much to beat up on the Corinthians about, but we can't beat them into the ground and say they're not our brothers. Paul affirmed them several times. These things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. I've applied these things for your sakes. And I really do think the best translation would be to leave out that word figuratively. It does muddy the waters a little bit. But Paul here is wrapping up a reflection of his ministry and his relationship to the Corinthians. Through the rest of this chapter, he's going to be talking about that relationship that he has with this church. And then once we get into chapter 5, the real fun begins in this sermon series as we start to address a variety of issues, uh, including church discipline and sexual morality and marriage and divorce and lawsuits and head coverings and all sorts of things. But for the moment, Paul is wrapping up his thoughts about his relationship with them, and he says that he has applied these things to himself and to Apollos. It's a unique phrasing in the Greek, and again, I think we do well to leave out the word figuratively. Paul and Apollos, these two servants of Christ, though they were especially gifted by God, they did not go on passing judgment as the Corinthians were. And Paul's message to them here is saying, look, I want you to learn from us. I want you to learn from me and from Apollos. We haven't sat back in the seat of judgment as you have. We haven't been critiquing the ministries of others. 
But if you look back at verse 1 with me, look at what he says about them. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. They weren't critics. They were servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. So Paul is saying, I'm applying these principles to myself and to Apollos that you would learn in us two things. Look at verse 6 again. There are two things he wants the Corinthians to learn. The first is that they would not exceed what is written. That they would not exceed what is written. And this is another one of those unique phrases that Paul is using today for us, to not exceed what is written. And this could mean a variety of things. It could mean don't go beyond the Hebrew Old Testament Scriptures. And perhaps for many of you, that's how you've naturally read this verse in the past. He's writing these things and he's giving this example so that you wouldn't go beyond what you have as the Bible, is another way that could be said. Paul could also be referencing what he's written so far in this letter. Do not exceed chapters 1 through 3. We're in chapter 4 now. Of course, those chapters aren't original. But perhaps he was saying, up until this point in the letter, what I have written to you, don't go beyond that. He's laid out several principles from the Old Testament. And maybe he's saying, what I've written thus far, don't exceed it. And yet it could also mean something like, mind the rules. Perhaps it was a familiar phrase to the Corinthians. And he's saying, look, I'm, I'm doing these things, I'm showing you these things so that you would do what is proper. Just another way of saying, do what is proper. Do not exceed what is written. Regardless of what he was exactly communicating, we know that generally speaking, the Corinthian judgments of others' ministries did go beyond what God had given them. As the Corinthians were judging Paul, as the Corinthians were judging ministries among themselves in the church, causing factions and teams, pitting people against people, they were going beyond what God had given them for life and for godliness. And the principle here is that God's good gifts to us are absolutely sufficient. And I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. God's good gifts to us are absolutely sufficient sufficient. God doesn't give us things and then leave us lacking. God doesn't provide things for us and then cause us to fill in the rest or to do more, to make up for lost ground. When God gives us gifts, He gives us sufficient gifts. And this, of course, includes the Word of God. We believe in sola scriptura. It's one of those statements from the Reformation. Scripture alone is what it means. We believe that Scripture alone is the standard. It's the rule of faith. It's the only objective thing we have to turn to that we can say truly is the Word of God. Scripture alone in that way. And we also believe in tota scriptura, which means all of it. So not just Scripture alone, but all of it. That includes the book of Nahum. (laughs) That includes, wait for it, 2 Chronicles. Those snoozer books that you just find so hard to get through. We believe we need all of it, that it's all sufficient. And and heaven forbid, there are some groups and some people who say they don't need the Old Testament. They write all of the first 39 books off. That's not what we believe. We believe Scripture alone, and we also believe all of Scripture is needed. This is God's sufficient, authoritative gift to us. Isn't that amazing? God has disclosed to us something that we are to own and to use. I want to show you a couple of 
passages on the screen. First is Deuteronomy 29.29, one of the most marvelous verses in all of Scripture. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. They belong to us. The words that God has given us, we can own these things and use these things. And it's not just for us, but it's also for the next generation, to our sons forever. And in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, "'Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness.'" through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's given us His Word. He's given us so much. And to seek wisdom beyond what is written in this sense is to deny God. It's to deny God in utter pride. To seek wisdom beyond what is written is to reject that which completes us as human beings. God's revelation of Himself, doesn't that complete us? Doesn't that make us whole? Doesn't that restore things? Doesn't that bring reconciliation and favor and peace? These things that complete us, we reject when we seek to go beyond what is written. And therefore, we must conclude, as Paul was teaching the Corinthians, we can learn ourselves that our judgments of others must be wrapped up in the Word of God alone. Our judgments of others and others' ministries must be wrapped up in the Word of God alone. If we are making critiques, if we are making judgments, if we are being harsh, if we are acting as masters over them and they are our slaves and they are to obey us, we are denying God's sufficient gift of His Word. Our judgments must be wrapped up in the Word of God alone. And where the Word of God speaks, we speak. And where the Word of God stops speaking, we should stop speaking. That is not to say there's no wisdom in these things. It's not to say that people can't go off into foolishness. That's certainly true. But where the word stops, we must stop. The Corinthians didn't. They blew past the stop sign. And they were, can you believe it, looking at the Apostle Paul and critiquing him. Here we are as benefactors of his ministry, and very few of you, I think, would even dare to critique Paul's ministry. Let's not lift him up and make him a god. But at the same time, let's understand that we are not to judge where Scripture doesn't speak. That's the first lesson he had for them in this, verse 6 again. So that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written. And a second purpose here, so that, none, or so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. The second purpose is to prevent arrogant factions, arrogant factions among the Corinthians. The natural consequence of exalting our own judgments over and against the Word of God, the natural consequence of these things is becoming puffed up. And you see that word 
uh, arrogance in there in verse 6, to become arrogant. It actually means to be puffed up. If you were to imagine this morning there was someone like a balloon artist with one of those balloons and was using that pump and putting air into the, into the balloon, that is the idea, puffing up the head. And the, some of the Corinthians, those who were making these harsh judgments, their heads were so big they wouldn't be able to fit through the doorway. They were so arrogant, they were so puffed up in their own thinking. And just as with balloons, pumping air into balloons, their arrogance truly was just as hollow as that. It was all about their own thinking, their pragmatism, its arrogance. And when we think about puffed up arrogance, we must admit that arrogance at its core is seeking to steal the lordship of Christ. Arrogance is seeking to put yourself in a position as judge. And there's only one judge. Arrogance is seeking to put yourself in a position as master or lord. You're adding judgments to what God has pronounced in His Word. That puts you at an even par. That seeks to supersede what is written. And it's also seeking to minimize our own sins and imperfections. After all, who would actually listen to a faulty judge? And so we must minimize those things in ourselves and maximize those things in others and critique and harshly judge. As Gordon Fee has written, the fall has given us all too high a view of ourselves with a correspondingly low view of others. That is certainly the case. Because when Scripture is no longer the standard, when our judgments are no longer wrapped up in the Word of God alone, we become our own standards. We set the Bible aside. It would be like this morning if I were to, I'm going to save my spot because I don't want to have to flip again, but if I were just to close the Bible and set it there and just share with you my own thoughts, that would be a harm to you. It would be dishonoring to God. It would be disgraceful to do in a place called a Bible church. Yet in our judgments, when we go beyond what is written, that's exactly what we're doing. We're putting the Word of God aside and making ourselves the standard when we exceed what is written, something we should not do. We are not gods. We are creatures, and we're dependent on the Creator to give us these standards by which we are to make judgments. Notice in verse 6, it also says, in behalf of, becoming arrogant, he says, so that you will not so that no one of you, rather, will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Interesting phrasing. But this, of course, refers to their propensity to choose teams. Remember back in chapter 1, the Corinthians were all saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. They were picking out, based on their judgments, they were picking out their leader and they were dividing up into factions based on who they chose as leaders. And so their arrogance wasn't just in themselves as judges, but then they transferred that arrogance by also putting it into another person, puffing up another person and saying, you are our leader. You are the one who is to represent us. I'm on your team. They would judge and join based on their own standards. As Robert Gramacki has noted, the sandlot baseball concept of choosing up sides should not be followed by humble Christians. The sandlot baseball concept. You can remember those days of your youth. 
dodgeball, baseball, basketball, whatever it may be. I'll take him, I'll take him, I'll take him, I'll take him. That is not the way we are to live as humble Christians. But we are to see and prioritize and preserve the unity of the faith. That no one is above another, but we all answer to the same master. Paul then goes on to bluntly address their arrogance in verse 7 and provides a solution to this arrogance. It's the nature of receiving. The nature of receiving. And when we understand what he's saying in verse 7, we can understand that when we see ourselves as receivers, receivers of things that God gives, this will actually kill arrogance. This is cutting arrogance to the core and pushing us toward humility. He starts off with a question in verse 7, for who regards you as superior? And it's likely that, again, if you're not using this translation, you have a different rendering of that statement. But basically, he is asking the question, who do you think you are? That's how you could translate that in verse 7. Paul is saying, who do you think you are? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? We didn't come up with truth. This is Paul's big point. We didn't come up with truth. We didn't come up with the gifts of God. But we have received these things as dependent creatures. We've received gifts as those dependent on the giver. And the Corinthians had received these things. They certainly received the apostles, but instead of being humbled, they weaponized the apostles. They had received the revelation of God, but instead of being humbled by it, being driven to the cross by it, they were weaponizing it. They were weaponizing what God had given them as a gift. They were brazenly thankless. They were ungrateful, and in it they were proud of it. Brazenly thankless. Again, Gordon Fee writes, Those such as the Corinthians who think of themselves as especially gifted with the Spirit and wisdom, thereby enabling them to judge another, reflect a total misunderstanding of grace and quite miss the humility of God expressed in the crucified one. Those who think are so puffed up with their arrogance, who have the big head walking around just like a big egghead, those so arrogant and loving their own judgment so much, they're missing the whole point of the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross puffed up, did He? He went as the humble one, as the suffering servant. We receive gifts by grace. Gifts are undeserved. Grace, by definition, is undeserved. Therefore, we should be humbled by it. We should be humbled by God's willingness to interact in our lives, to show us love, to change us, to mold us, to shape us, to give us a future, to give us a hope. We shouldn't take it and twist it and weaponize it and divide over it. But we should be drawn nearer to the cross and nearer to one another because of it. We have received all things. And this should put us in grateful submission. Grateful submission should be the result of that which we have received. And far too often, what are we doing? We're walking around feigning royalty, 
walking around as self-ascribed kings and queens, seeing what else God might owe to us. We don't consider all things as a gift, but we treat it as something that's owed to us. Not the least of the things that have been given to us as a gift is the Word of God. The most precious gift we have received is the Word of God. How do you treat the Word of God? Is it something owed to you? Or do you treat it as a precious gift that humbles you and draws you to the cross, pushes you toward the Christ life? That should be our relationship with Scripture. And if we don't allow Scripture to speak as God has designed it to speak, we are foolishly rebelling. We're rebelling in utter pride and in utter foolishness. We must maintain a correct relationship with Scripture. We must heed the example of Ezra who made it his aim to study the Word of God and to teach it, and then, or to do it rather, to study, to do, and then to teach others to do likewise. To study, to do, and to teach. Receive the gift of God. That's the key to humility. And the apostles' whole point, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his whole point as we get down through uh, 8 to 13, his whole point is to deliver a dose of reality. I titled the message today, Reality Check. And that is what Paul is doing, giving them a dose of reality, helping them become humble as they understand these things, as they think on these things. And let's read verses 8 through 13 together. Uh, This section of the message I titled, Holy Sarcasm, or Inspired Sarcasm. We believe the Holy Spirit moved men along to write every word of Scripture, and that includes the sarcasm we're about to get from the Apostle Paul. Um, He's articulating a contrast here between his life and their life. He has a variety of staccato statements And it's a rebuke. It's an admonition. Let's read it together, starting at verse 8. You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. And when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. (laughs) Well, Paul, tell us what you really think. Well, what's his message here? The message of these verses, 8 to 13, is, again, the contrast. The Corinthians had considered themselves rich kings, royalty, prudent, strong, distinguished, walking around like they owned the place. I like that phrase. I use it sometimes. 
Uh, my children will walk around the house like they own the place, <laughs> and they have to be reminded that's not the case. Well, the Corinthians were walking through life like they owned the place, like everything in life was owed to them. There was no gift. It's theirs. Some believe that the Corinthians had an over-realized eschatology. They believed they were already in the last days and that they were already physically reigning with Christ. Therefore, they're kings. That may or may not have been the case. We know that either way they had an ethical issue of treating themselves and treating others the way they were. The apostles, by contrast, of course, were in a very poor state. They were paupers in comparison. They were beggars. Paul even uses the word homeless, hungry, thirsty. And Paul wants them to pick up this contrast, and he uses hyperbole. He uses this extreme language so that they can see what their actions are communicating, that they're acting in such a way that is so wrong. And his point, as I see it, his point is really twofold. First point from this message is that he is revealing what their actions communicate. I want you to see at verse 8 again with me. Revealing what their actions communicate, he uses this phrase, you have become kings without us. And that's not to say you've become kings without our help. He's saying you've become kings and we have no share in it. You are taking all the royalty and we have none of it. You've become kings and left us out of this exaltation. And if you remember the facts that we've gone over about the Corinthians, this, of course, was just an illusion. Flip back to chapter 1 with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and look at verse 26. Just a page over, 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 26. Look how Paul describes them and, and ask yourself, is this really uh, kingly? Is this royalty? For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God." He opens by saying, consider your calling, and look at these adjectives he has used for them. Run your eyes back over it again. Not wise, not mighty, not noble, foolish, weak, base, despised, the things that are not. That was their reality. They were those things. And yet here Paul in chapter 4 says, and now you're treating yourselves like kings. You've, you've become kings. You've gone from that to being kings without us. Here we are. We are still the scum of the world. And you're kings, huh? That's what their arrogant judgments were communicating. They, of course, weren't the only church to do that in church history. There have been several groups of Christians who have put themselves in that position. In fact, we see later on in Scripture church of Laodicea was doing the same thing. In Revelation 3, Revelation 3, starting at verse 17, it says, this is Jesus speaking, "'Because you say, I am rich, and I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I advise you to buy from me 
gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and eye salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Strong words from Jesus, too. They considered themselves rich and wealthy and in need of nothing. And the same question could be asked to them that was asked to the Corinthians. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you've received it, why are you acting as though you did not receive it? Why are you acting like it's owed you or that you created it, that you are somehow the Lord? The Corinthians were so puffed up. They were living as though they did not need the gifts of God. They were living as though they had arrived already. They were making judgments from a position of arrival. And you know that we don't arrive, right? We don't arrive. We don't get to a point of arriving. We are constantly learning and growing and being shaped and molded by the Word of God. There's a very basic principle here in this quote from Herman Bavinck. He says, the contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the Creator and the creature. The difference between being, God is a being, He's not becoming. The contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the Creator and the creature. But the Corinthians had positioned themselves as judges over God's gifts, gifts that were given to make them sufficient. They were going back to their insufficiency and saying, I don't need those things. They were comfortable in their insufficiency. Their own knowledge and wisdom was reckoned as necessary over and against God's gifts. Think of a child refusing to eat, that cute little viper in a diaper sitting there, and you're scooping the vegetables that that child needs. And the child, no, no, no. That's what the Corinthians were doing with the gifts of God. The gifts that were given to make them complete, they rejected. So Paul is revealing what their actions communicate. And Paul is also, a second point, I believe, Paul is considering what God is doing in the world. Look at verse 9 again with me. Paul says, For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death. He's thinking about what God is doing by giving the apostles the cross-centered life, by giving them Jesus' life and His death, condemned to die. And again, uh, we've noted this throughout 1 Corinthians, God turns things upside down. The things that the world looks at and says, that's great, that's mighty, that's strong, that's precious. God shames those things by drawing out that which the world despises. And as He lifts those things up and transforms those things and, sees, and causes real beauty to come out of that, He's turning the world upside down. And He's rearranging all the standards that the world has. And you know this, if you've been born again, think of the standards you had at one point in your life, what was beautiful, what was sufficient, what was right, what was good. Hopefully now, if you're in Christ, you define those things differently. You have a clearer picture of God and of man, and you can see what God is doing in the world. 
Run your eyes over verses 11 through 13. Again, Paul is pointing out we, they're living as poor people, hungry and thirsty. They had physical challenges. In verse 12, he mentions specifically working with their hands. And at first, that might seem out of place, but you need to remember that the Corinthians were Greeks. And Greeks considered working with their hands as below them. That was not work for the Greeks. Uh, that was work for the world. For the Greeks, they were to sit back and to use their brains. And Paul specifically says, we are toiling, working with our own hands, something they despised. And in verse 13, he outlines how they have been dishonored in the world. Totally, absolutely dishonored. And in all of this, as Paul's considering what God is doing in the world, he's pointing out to the Corinthians through this letter that they were not despised by the world. The world did not despise the Corinthians. The world despised the apostles. And that communicated something to them. Paul is saying, we are being treated this way by unbelievers. We're being treated this way by the culture. And look at you. You're heralded as kings. That example from their daily lives communicated something. I think it was Paul Washer who has said, the problem with preachers today is that nobody wants to kill them. <laughs> and there's something like that going on in Corinth in this letter, that they were cherished by the world. As they were putting themselves first and using their own judgments, the world didn't hate them. This principle from Jesus is in Mark 9.35. He says, if anyone wants to be first... He shall be the last of all and servant of all. It's not enough to reckon yourself as last and then go on living as though you're first. He shall be the last of all and the servant of all. And we have to admit as we study this passage today, as we look at the dynamic between Paul and the Corinthians, we have to confess as much as we want to relate to Paul and be on the good team, we live a lot more like the Corinthians, don't we? We have a lot. We're very comfortable. And we might even reckon ourselves as royalty in this place. Well, Paul wasn't shaming them. He was admonishing them. Let's look at verse 14. We'll pick it up next week. But he says, clearly, I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. They were shaming him with their judgments, and he did not return shame for shame. He returned admonition, encouragement, biblical exhortation. It sounds so harsh, we read through it and think, boy, Paul is just being mean. But he's making a case from the Word of God, and he's communicating a message bluntly to them. And remember what Paul said to Timothy? This is 1 Timothy 1.5. What was Paul's goal in writing letters and instructing people? The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He loved the Corinthians enough to speak bluntly to them. We need to love each other enough to speak bluntly to one another. The Word of God speaks to our hearts, and we need, as we have our judgments wrapped up in the Word of God, we need to bluntly bring those judgments to those around us in love, with the goal of love, with a sincere faith 
in a pure conscience. So let's hear Paul's admonition as we are so prone to being more like the Corinthians than like Paul. Let's hear his admonition and let's let go of our personal judgments for the sake of the cross, for the cross-centered life, for the Jesus life, that we would humbly serve and be stewards of that which God has given us, His precious gifts. Father, thank You again. Your Word is enough. Your gifts are sufficient. Thank You. We ask that You would enlighten us, illuminate these Scriptures we just looked at in our minds. Throughout this week, cause us to dwell on these things, to meditate on Your Word night and day, and give us great application for these truths that we read about today. Make us servants that we wouldn't just consider ourselves last, last of all in word only, but also in deed, that we would be servants of all. Thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and what you continue to do in our lives and in the world. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.